brings victory in ways we often don't expect. This morning we're going to be looking in the book of Philippians and we're going to discuss a character that is not known by a lot of people. I don't really know any kids that have been named after this guy either. His name is Epaphroditus. I don't know, maybe Epap or something for a nickname. But uh, even though he was little known, that doesn't mean because he was obscure that he was not important. This man made a tremendous difference in the life of the Apostle Paul as he reached out to Paul in a time where he needed somebody to help him. So I think we can really learn from him. But turn with me to the book of Philippians, chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 25 through 30 this morning. So we seek encouragement from the Lord. I ask you when you find that in Philippians 2 to stand in God's honor as we look at the text. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor men like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. Let's pray. Father, as we come before You, O Lord, we thank You for those who are not well known, who do not have celebrity status, but who are a very important part of Your work. We thank You for the example of this man, Lord. And I know there are those here today, Father, who are not well known in circles of notoriety, but Father, they are Your servants and they love You and faithful to You. And Father, as we look at this account, I just pray You speak to our hearts, Lord. I pray You encourage the saints. And I pray, Father, that You might call out those who need to trust You as Savior and as Lord. Work this morning, Father. As for Your anointing, I ask that You might be free to speak through me, Lord, that through my weakness You might be strong that we might worship You this morning, Lord. May You have Your way. In the awesome name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Now, the book of Philippians is an interesting book because the theme of the book is joy. I've got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. The problem is it's harder to have joy when your circumstances aren't so great. He wrote this book in a prison. Not a great place to be excited about the Lord. Where you're cold, where you're hungry, where it's easy to be grumpy because you feel forgotten, pushed aside. But it was there that he expresses over and over again joy for the Lord. I, I thought it'd be worthwhile for I even start looking at Epaphroditus. How in the world did Paul end up there? How did he end up in this jail cell? I mean, 
did he steal something from somebody? Uh, did he get mad and, and do some kind of damage to somebody's property? Did he talk to the wrong people with the wrong words and get himself in all kinds of trouble? What did he do? That got himself in jail. Well, turn me to Acts chapter 16. And we're going to look at the account of what happened that made uh, these people angry and resulted in him locked up. It's Acts 16, verse 16. 16, 16. It's Paul and Silas. It says, Once, Silas, of course, had written the book. Uh, uh, well, Luke had written the book, but Silas was a companion of Paul. It says, Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. So here's the scene. Paul is in Philippi, and he and Silas are going, and they're sharing the message of Jesus Christ faithfully with the power of God's evident upon Paul's preaching and his ministry. And this slave girl who is predicting the future and making lots of hard, cold cash for her owners is excited to have her as property. But something interesting happens. When she gets close to Paul and Silas, she begins to shout continually, These men are of the Most High God. Hey, listen to their preaching. They're, they're anointed. They're special. And I mean, you know, at first that sounds, Boy, that, you know, that's pretty neat. If you're Paul and you're preaching and here suddenly there's this confirmation that, you know, you're of the Most High God, that what you say is true. But the problem is she kept saying it over and over and it began, became annoying. I mean, it's one thing when somebody says, listen to them, they're servants of the Most High God. But when you're trying to preach, it came to a point where I'm sure she was interrupting constantly. These are servants of the Most High God. These are servants of the Most High God. And finally, Paul had had enough. So he turned and he said, Spirit, come out of her. Now, that's when things get really interesting for Paul and Silas. As we read in verse 19, when the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. When they saw that their money-making plan was no more, they were angry. It was greed. Greed. They grabbed Paul and Silas. They drug them into the courts, because, the marketplace, because of greed. And then verse 20 we read, They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. The mood of the mob suddenly changes. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. 
After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and their jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So, so you see the scene. They were guilty of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ for sharing a message that changes lives. As a result of that, there was a, a young girl that followed them that what she said sounded good, but uh, it was actually a distraction. Paul cast this spirit out. Crowd turns against them. They end up beaten and they ended up getting thrown into prison. And all that they did was want to tell the truth of hope. Now you would think... Man, you know, that's a bummer. You would think if you were in that situation, it would be really easy to be bitter. It would be really easy to strike out, to attack the persecutors. But that's not what happened. I want you to see how they responded. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. As we go on, we read about Paul's release and about and Silas's release and how God worked through this incredible set of circumstances and angel of the Lord to setting free their chains and working. But that's not what happened at first. They spent time in jail. They went through suffering. They went through pain. They went through difficulty. And it was there in Philippi that he penned this book. Not when he was set free, but in the time where he was struggling. The time he was crying out to God. And it was during that time that he found some encouragement from a guy named Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was not some dynamic leader like the Apostle Paul. He was not some king, some royalty like David. He was not a fiery prophet like Elijah. He was not a visionary leader like the Apostle Paul or a great preacher that saw numbers get saved like Peter, but man, he was valuable to Paul. Think about it. Paul had been sitting in this jail cell. He needed some encouragement. The church at Philippi reached out to Paul in that situation, and they sent this guy to Paul. And so I want to look at him. What, what kind of guy was Epaphroditus? What can we learn from him? What type of Christian? Well, let's look at verse 25 and we find out, first of all, the kind of guy that he was to Paul. He says, I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. First notice here, my brother. He describes him as my brother. Now, as you get along with people in the body of Christ, there are basically three levels of connection. First, there's a level of acceptance. We're called, it says in the book of Romans, accept one another then just as in Christ God has accepted you. We're called to accept one another because we're God's family. We're to accept one another with love and we're connected that way. But the next level, after acceptance, when we become closer, leads not only to acceptance but to agreement. That's where when we begin to study God's Word, when we begin to look and see Him work in our lives, we become connected in Jesus Christ and not only do we accept each other, but there's an agreement. We're connected. Our hearts, our minds, our focus is toward one direction. There's that type of agreement. 
And third, there's approval. Once God gets a hold of hearts, once there's that acceptance, once there's agreement, then there becomes approval where, hey, we are on the same page. Hey, we're praying together. We're, we're living together for the cause of Christ. We're connected. We become family. We're brothers. And as Paul looked at this guy, he said, he's my brother. Man, our hearts beat together in unison because of Christ living within us. But the second description of him is not just a brother, but we also read, my fellow worker. His theology became his biography. It wasn't just something that was written down on a page. It was his life. This guy lived for the Lord. This guy was someone who put actions behind his words. He wasn't, as we would say, just a Sunday Christian. You know, once you leave a place, forget about it. You don't think about the Lord anymore. It was his life. His heart was to see God's kingdom grow, to be advanced, for God's will to become a growing part around him. It was his heart. He was a fellow worker. Uh, you know, I read this week about a about a sign in a store that said uh, two guys were walking by and it said, "No help wanted." And the other guy turned to this guy and said, "You'd be perfect for that job. Perfect." <laughs> there are a lot of people out there that talk about doing something, and then there are those who do something. That was Epaphroditus. He had a job to do, and and when it came time to go, he was ready to go, and he was ready to help Paul to get in there and to work. And then thirdly, look, he is described as a fellow soldier in verse 25. Guys, we're called to be family. We're called to be workers in the field. We should never forget that we are in a spiritual battle. That it's, it's more than just our ability to relate and to plan and to do jobs but that there is a spiritual dynamic and that we need to be on our faces before the Lord. We need to be praying. We need to be seeking His heart through the Scriptures. Guys, we, we need the Lord to work through us and in us because of this spiritual battle. We can't, we can't win without God working in our hearts and our lives. And that's so critical. This is from Ephesians 6.12 that reminds us of this battle. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see, this, this was this guy. And I want you to notice he was a stable, balanced believer. First of all, he believed in being connected to God's people. He, he believed that, that we should be together. Man, and not only that, he connected and together, he believed that we also shouldn't just be together, but that we should be out working for God, looking for opportunities to serve as workers. And then he also understood, though, that there's a spiritual dynamic here, that it's more than just being together, it's more than working. We need to be in touch with God, the living God. And, and you know, those, those three things have to be working together, because when they're out of balance, there's trouble. We can come together and we can fellowship and have a big time, but there's more than just us having a big time. There are people that need to know the Lord. Or we can be out there and we can be working for God and, and forget each other and get discouraged. And the enemy can get a foothold and we can lose our focus. Or we can forget the spiritual dynamic and just not have any power in the Lord. 
You, don't, you can't really fellowship and work right if you're not connected rightly to God. But he was balanced. He had that stable dynamic. And then I want you to see uh, also here that he has a servant's heart, according to the Scripture here. He says, Who is also your messenger who you use, whom you sent to take care of my needs? He came with a message and He came with a heart to deliver that message. I don't remember who said but I thought about it so often. He said one of God's primary tasks is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. You see, here was a guy. God got a hold of his heart. God afflicted Epaphroditus who was in a comfortable situation with the people at Philippi and he heard about Paul's hurting. And he was afflicted by that. And he wanted to go and he wanted to bring comfort. You see, God works and He brings comfort, but many times He does it through His kids, through you and through me. And, and that was what He did. He, he gave him a sensitivity to, to go out. You see, that's God. one of God's primary jobs. What He wants to do in His people is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable so that His work might be carried on. Now, I want you to see His sensitivity. Uh, verse 26 on. For He longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard He was ill. Indeed, He was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on Him. And not on Him only, but also on me. To spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send Him, so that when you see Him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. He was a guy Paul could not help but uh, care about. They grew close. But I want you to see here, um, even though they grew close, Paul cared about him and he wanted what was best also for Epaphroditus. Uh, first, he, he wanted to send him back for the church's sake. You see, they knew Epaphroditus. They loved Epaphroditus. They watched Epaphroditus. They heard about him being sick. Paul knew that although he needed them, they needed him too. Man, it's hard when there's somebody that comes to see you and they mean so much to you. But you know that somebody else needs them too. To let go of them and to, and to, and to let them go back. That was Paul's heart. He knew the church needed him. Sent back for Paul's sake too. Paul was worried about the church at Philippi. Man, this is a great guy. He's helping me, but boy, he could help them. It's time for him to go back. And then for Epaphroditus' sake, he had been sick. He, he had been ill. He almost died. And it was time for him to get out of those harsh conditions and to go back. The missionary needed a furlough. He needed a break. He needed to, to get stronger again. That, that, that Paul's heart for Epaphroditus. I read about a group, but basically the Greek name would be risk-takers, where those in that day who had deadly diseases, life-threatening diseases, and God's people would take a risk. Although they knew that they could die, they would go to minister to people, risking getting sick, risking dying, because those people needed the love of Christ to be spread. This was Epaphroditus. He would fit into that category. He took a risk. Somewhere along the line, he got deathly ill, and God used him to go into those dire circumstances to help Paul. Sensitivity, uh, a love for people. Marked Epaphroditus, and there is still that need today. 
where are the tears, you know? Where are the concern for one another and for people? It's so easy to lose that in this age of cons and scams and tell, uh, you know, every kind of trick out there to, you know, I remember a few years ago, uh, there were some different things that had been going on and, you know, you just felt like you're getting scammed at every corner and there was a business dealing in the family and this guy called me up out of the blue and he was wanting to do business with a family with some, taking some trees off some land, uh, we owned and, um, you know, he's making all these bold proclamations of what he would do. And finally, I just told him, I said, look, I said, there have been some things that happened recently. I, I don't even hardly trust my own mother right now, okay? So I don't trust you. And it turned out, I found out later he was trying to con me. And you know, it's easy sometimes when you look around and you see those kind of things to kind of get cold-hearted. But God forbid, help us to not lose a sense of sensitivity to people, even though that kind of stuff exists. Epaphroditus expressed that. Uh, when you look at some of the people God used in pulpits throughout history, Jonathan Edwards in the colonial period, they said he would read his sermon, which sounds kind of boring, but he cried when he read. And God used him moving hearts. George Whitfield during the colonial period, man, they said he could preach to thousands in the open air and he could be heard. And they said often he would be crying while he did so because he had a, a heart for people. He sensed their need for Jesus and he would cry. And then there were, um, during the, salva uh, the salvation, the guy that founded the Salvation Army, William Booth, on one occasion, he was speaking to a large crowd. Several hundred came down, received Christ. After that fantastic service, and of course there was electricity and a buzz in that place with all those people coming to, to know the Lord. But they found William Booth in a little side room crying. And they said, uh, why, why are you crying? He said, because all I can think about are the hundreds of others who didn't come. You know, Epaphroditus, he, he could see how Paul was working. He knew he wasn't the great evangelist or had the gifts Paul had, but he did have a gift of compassion to reach out to Paul. And he went. And he was a part of that dynamic ministry because he reached out to Paul. And he helped Paul as he worked. He was willing to sacrifice. Notice as a, as a passage closes, Paul writes, Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like Him because He almost died for the work of Christ, risking His life to make up for the help you could not give me. He, he risked out. He didn't follow a trail. He made a trail. Man, He went not knowing what would He would find exactly and it was not safe what He found. But God honored Him and God used Him. You know what? God still uses His people today. Each one of you and me too have opportunity for God to be honored. And you say, me? Why do I have? Well, you could look at Epaphroditus. What did he do here that looked so super? He went with a gift to share hope, to give comfort 
to a tired, beaten down soldier of the cross. What about you? Who can you exhort? Who can you help? Who can you encourage this week? Maybe there's somebody in the body of Christ who means a great deal to you and maybe you haven't taken the opportunity as of yet to just encourage them. Man, don't just assume that they're up all the time for Christ. You read about joy all throughout the book of Philippians. But I'm sure Paul had some struggle. Exhort, encourage, lift up. Believers, one another. Be an Epaphroditus. Because you don't know how God will use that in the gospel going out. And encouraging one another so that we can be ready to go. Lifted up for Christ. I want to close the messages. I thought of a guy um, who's gotten a lot of publicity of late who in a sense I certainly think of as an Epaphroditus. Hopefully if the video will work. Uh, and I'm going to show a video clip. Um, he's a pretty good football player in high school. And uh, went to a football machine producing pro athletes in Northern Iowa. I have no idea where that is. Uh, Northern Iowa University. It's in Northern Iowa. <laughs> um, while he was there, he had a dream of playing in the NFL. Met his wife in college. Uh, of course, that's a, that's a really neat story too. But anyway, I won't take time to tell that whole story. But met his wife while he was in college. They got married. He tried out with the Green Bay Packers. But he ended up getting cut. So he went back to work in a grocery store. Stocking shelves in the Hy-Vee grocery store. And while he was there, uh, he was just faithful to stock those shelves, to do his work. Then an opportunity came open for him to uh, get into arena football. He kind of rose up the ladder of arena football. And then after uh, becoming a star in arena football, he managed to sign with the St. Louis Rams. They shipped him over to Europe to play in the Euro League. Then the next year, he ended up the backup behind Trent Green. Trent Green became injured. And then, wow, had a, a miracle season of football. It's just amazing, you know. It, it's up, rising up. He ends up winning a Super Bowl against, uh, sorry guys, Tennessee Titans. Uh, and, uh, you know, one of those uh, end-of-the-game kind of deals. Then later on, he ends up going to a, another Super Bowl and he loses to the New England Patriots. He deals with some injuries, uh, breaks his hand, sets him back, doesn't look like such a super football player then. Then he ends up injuring his pinky finger. People say he's done. No more football for this guy. Has a horrendous showing. Ends up going to the Giants to mentor a guy named Eli Manning. They end up uh, not really bigger than they need him that much. Signs with this team called Arizona. Arizona Cardinals. And he sits behind another young gun, a hot shot. Um, but this guy gets injured and, whoa, before you know it, all of a sudden he gets another chance to play football. And then he goes to 
an amazing miracle time here. Winning game after game after game that they're supposed to lose. And now all of a sudden, Kurt Warner finds himself in the Super Bowl. But you know what's amazing about Kurt Warner, uh, as I read about him? Gives, uh, I have to be honest with you, it gives me kind of a desire to root for Arizona thinking about his story. Is although I told you about some ups and downs, some great peaks and some low valleys, going from stocking shelves in a grocery store to, you know, ended up, here he is for, in his third Super Bowl, hard to believe. The one thing that sustained him through all that was, I mean, he has always had a very vibrant, outspoken faith in Jesus Christ. The guy through his playing career has always taken time to lift up Jesus, to tell others what makes him tick, which is his Lord. He loves his family, but he's really quick to talk about Jesus. And he's also been one to be a kind of Epaphroditus, to help others and to lift others up who are hurting. And uh, if this video will work, I want to show you just a clip of his heart, which I think is a great example for us and how we need to love one another. Even as he's led the Arizona Cardinals to an NFC West title and a playoff win, Kurt Warner has been a leader off the field as well, building a playground. Where are we going to put this one? Anastasia. Stuffing Christmas stockings with his family for foster children, trying to lend a helping hand. We take the time as a family to fill the stockings and think about the idea of you know, making sure that during the holiday season and specifically during uh, Christmas that we think about what it represents. And it represents giving, not receiving. Since 2001, his First Things First Foundation has provided a week-long vacation to Disney World for kids with life-threatening conditions. Kids like nine-year-old Isaiah Acosta of Phoenix, who was born without a jawbone and cannot speak. He needs tubes just to be fed, even to breathe. I'm a guy that feel like I've got everything, you know, and um, but you see some of these kids who seem to have everything going against them, yet they just have a, an amazing outlook on life, and Isaiah's the same way. It was two years ago when Isaiah joined Kurt in Florida. I know all the other kids were all excited about Mickey Mouse and Goofy. Isaiah was excited about Kurt. And from the minute he met him, they just had like an immediate bond. Isaiah is just one of those special little kids that, uh, you know, you don't really appreciate him until you get a chance to get to know him. You visualize him and you can't help but smile. One of those people that, uh, that influences everybody that they're around and uh, has done it for me and my family in a profound way. It's Isaiah's hero. It's not the Batman, the Spider-Man and all that stuff like a little boy. I mean, it's Kurt. Since then, Kurt has kept in touch, giving Isaiah and his family tickets to Cardinals games. Kurt and his family were among the guests at a birthday party for Isaiah. Isaiah just couldn't even believe it. I mean, I don't think he still can believe it. Kurt is the man. For Kurt, the opportunity to transform lives like Isaiah's is one he cherishes, one he hopes will be remembered after his playing days are done. Five, ten years from now, people won't know 
the name Kurt Warner. They won't remember that I won this Super Bowl or, or won that award. But the people that we've touched will never forget us. And that's the legacy that we want to leave. And that's why we get connected and try to give back as much as we can. Father, we thank you for this example of uh, Kurt Warner, Lord, who um, loves you and has made that clear, Father, and is showing that in ways, Father, as we see here, like with Isaiah. Who are the Isaiahs out there, Lord, that you want us to reach out to and to help and to love? Who is it, Father, that you want us to impact with your compassion, God. Who is it that you have called us to reach out to, Lord? You know, Father, help us listen to you and to follow you, to be the Epaphroditus that you want us to be, Father, to encourage maybe a great saint of God, but maybe someone who has yet to trust you as Savior and Lord. I don't know who it is, God, but I know that each of us have that type of job, Lord, that calling. So I pray, Father, that you might work through this body called Kingsway Baptist Church to be a caring, compassionate, sensitive people, Lord. To share your hope, God. To be your people. Lord, what do you want to do this morning? Call us out, God, for you. Maybe one for the first time who is here and it is time to come to uh, say, Jesus is my Savior, my Lord, I need to to come before the church and to follow through in baptism and to be uh, to make a public expression of an inward change. Maybe someone here has never trusted Jesus for the first time and asked Him in the heart. I pray this morning that it would change, that that person would say, I confess I need You, Jesus. Forgive me, live in me, Lord. Change me. Give me eternal hope. Father, maybe there's one here that um, You're calling out for a special task. I, pray that uh, that one would say yes to you, the plotting of your spirit, prodding of your spirit, Lord. Father, we're just grateful that we can come this morning, worship you, and look at your truth. Father, may you work through us for your glory, God, this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.